Hello and welcome to the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. I'm Chris. And today I'm chatting with Alice Zawadzki. So time to bow, bow and be brilliant. Hello, hello, hello and welcome to the long-awaited final episode of Series 9 of the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. And with my strategic broadcasting gap over the last few weeks... I think we can say that spring is now here and trying to break out with all the bloom, beauty and hope that's to come. Do check out the show notes for useful extra info and links and to buy me a coffee, for which I shall be incredibly grateful and of course helps with the running costs of the show. We are also on the countdown to our mighty Watford Jazz Junction live music festival from the 19th to the 22nd of May, running across lots of venues here in Eversanny, Watford. Tickets are now on sale, and artists include Sri Sharam and Dennis Rollins, Nigel with Tim Garland, Archipelago, Jelly Cleaver, Tomorrow's Warriors presenting Sultan Stevenson with Mark Kavuma, Joe Harrop, John Etheridge, Pete Churchill, Nicky Isles. Ah, there are loads and loads of great acts. From formal concerts to drop-in shows, from nightclub dancing to Prosecco brunches, we got it covered. So get amongst it and buy your tickets ASAP at whatforjazzjunction.com. Now to business. Today, I am joined by a vocalist, violinist and composer described by Mojo as sharing a whimsical hyper-creativity, drawing upon her musical influences from New Orleans jazz to gospel and building on her classical training as a violinist, she is a fearless explorer of improvisation, poetry, folk and much more. Her debut album, China Lane, was made album of the week by BBC Radio 3 and described by The Guardian as a genuine original and led to her being nominated for Vocalist of the Year, both by Jazz FM and the Parliamentary Jazz Awards. I could go on, but far better to hear from the woman herself. It can only be the fabulous Alice Zawadzki. Alice, hello. How are you? Hello, Chris. <laughs> Thank you for that wonderful introduction. And it's lovely to be here with you this morning. Oh, it's very exciting. Your face is beaming and it's making me smile uh, almost as much as the sunshine outside and my, my long, my long, my long hoped for spring is here. Um, so where do I find you hanging out in the world? Where are you? I'm currently in Tempike Lane in my front room. Nice. That's North London. Is that long been the Desres? It has, certainly has been the Desres. <laughs> yeah, I've been here for ages now. <laughs> I think it's been about 11 years. Um, oh, wow, yeah. It's great. I think when I first moved here, Many people will be aware that there's an incredible uh, scene of Turkish food in the area. So I kind of got very fat and very skint very quickly. Um, And now I'm sort of uh, slowly learning how to rein myself in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm very partial to uh, a bit of Turkish. And uh, it just starts with breakfast. All of the Turkish meals are good, uh, but they're very dangerous once you engage. It's a a one-way weight-train exercise. (laughs) True, yeah. (laughs) So what's your backstory? How did you end up in London? or were you a Londoner all along? I want to know from little Alice to now. What is history time? <laughs> I'll try and keep it in a nutshell. Yeah, I um, I grew up in a little town in Oxfordshire called Abington. Uh, it's mm-hmm. very pretty and picturesque. I'm not sure how many people live there now. It might be sort of 40,000 or something like that. And then I moved to Manchester uh, when I was 18. And I did, or 19, and um, I studied at the Royal Northern College of Music. I did a um, a degree uh, in classical violin there. 
Um, but before that, I'd been getting into jazz from the amazing New Orleans uh, singer Lillian Boutet. She's an incredible advocate and uh, example of the incredible musical culture that comes from there. And she kind of took me under her wing after I saw her doing a gig at my school, which was just an extraordinary opportunity and an extraordinary experience. And just kind of seeing, wow. I was already really into music at that point, but seeing how in that, uh, in a kind of jazz context, things are so warm, everything's very communal, everything's fun, things aren't too formal. And I found that there was a way of making music that just kind of seemed to flow in a really joyful way. And she uh, just turned me on so much to that that way of engaging with music and with people. She was friendly with everyone. Everyone falls in love with her straight away. And she, yeah, she was just such an amazing influence on me. And I ended up being a backing singer for her in my teens, doing little tours and stuff. So wow. it was just an amazing way to, a sort of old school way, I guess, of uh, of learning yeah, about yeah. music. You know, she was never very prescriptive about anything. She was never like, oh, you have to sing it like this or do sing these notes or, or, or anything like that. She just kind of let me soak it in by osmosis uh, through her and, and her band. So that was an amazing kind of parallel stream of stuff uh, going alongside like a more kind of formal music making that I was doing, you know, playing violin, playing in like local orchestras and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah, then yeah, I, yeah. I moved to Magister. I did, I did a classical violin degree. I had an amazing time, but realised pretty quickly that I wasn't going to go down that kind of uh, orchestral route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking for something slightly different, but, but that, I, I do feel like that, part of my musical journey is has really informed a lot of stuff not just kind of with uh, regards to like musical language but but kind of aesthetics and, and that kind of thing mm-hmm. i love all the music from the east you know i'm, I'm really into like uh, the big uh, eastern composers and yeah. then yeah that's a, a so when i was kind of doing that i also was because uh, they don't have like a, a specific jazz course at the rncm um, and there were a lot of kind of vocal jobs, I suppose, that were happening there that um, maybe some of the classical singers weren't allowed to do because <laughs> I think yeah. there's quite a kind of there's quite a requirement for some of those classical singers not to kind of branch out too much into what uh, types of singing that might, I suppose, damage the voice or kind of ruin ruin your operatic training or whatever. So I was given all these amazing performance opportunities to sing with the big band or to do kind of quite contemporary music. Um, stuff by new composers, uh, stuff that was a bit uh, wacky, I suppose, in comparison yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to other stuff. And, and so it was a really, a really fruitful time. Stayed in Manchester for a couple of years and then and was just kind of working uh, around doing all kinds of gigs that every single gig I possibly do. Uh, I said yes to everything. And kind of just that, that was kind of where I feel like I uh, was born in a way. Musically, I, I kind of yeah. got born in those two years and st- kind of really branching out and playing music with people from all kinds of different traditions and stuff, doing a lot of jazz, doing a lot of writing. Then I moved to London in 2010. I was spending a bit of time in Berlin as well. I had a boyfriend there for a while and kind of got into the the jazz scene there. But I was also um, doing um, a master's at the Royal Academy of Music and I did a a jazz master's there, which was, yeah, really kind of like filled in some kind of gaps for me and I met yeah, loads of yeah. great people and and then I guess ever since I've been I don't know uh trying to make sense of all of those things and and continue building on different experiences yeah amazing gosh so many questions so many uh avenues <laughs> um firstly kannst du Deutsch sprechen did you learn to speak German with a German ein bisschen boyfriend? ein bisschen yeah, yeah. <laughs> so good and 
And welcome or welcomen to all our, our listeners in Deutschland. Uh, it's good to have you on board. But I was like, I just want to quickly uh, circle back to Manchester because we had Clark yeah. Rundell on, oh, ooh, yeah. I don't know, series two even. There's just a, a powerhouse of of music going on in Manchester. But to my ears, it seems to be spiralling and going across genres uh, and not not sort of limiting itself uh, to any avenues. Do you think that's a, a very specific thing to Manchester? Is that seemingly encouraged or do you think that's a result of perhaps mm. being slightly smaller than the capital and, and that type of thing? I'm just really curious about Manchester. Yeah, Manchester's amazing. There's a kind of sense of springtime there all through the year energetically speaking <laughs> if you know what I mean it's kind of um, <laughs> yeah yeah there's always this kind of feeling of regeneration and repurposing stuff I don't know like sometimes I love London but you know if you walk like down the strand or yeah. something you know you can say pretty pretty certainly that like every building there it's always been like that it's never going to change it's owned by the same people there's just this kind of like intransigence in in certain parts of London which it, you know it's it's the old it's the establishment and I feel like in Manchester, there's, I don't know, I remember when I was living there, I mean, it's changed a lot now, but when I was living there, there was a lot of kind of wasteland almost. And I found that just, I've, I've always been attracted to kind of derelict spaces and spaces that get repurposed. I'm really into that kind of urbex Ooh. photography and exploring kind of ruined and derelict buildings. There's something about that that I find really poignant and very sort of fruitful and, and reflective. And there was something about living among some of those spaces often that would get kind of repurposed or like there would be pop-up things or gigs or or just people kind of there or perhaps even nobody there and I would just kind of walk through mm. these kind of strange landscapes and so I think there's there's something about that I think also it's it's a, a newer city it's it's got that kind of industrial the red brick industrial vibe but yeah I guess in terms of like um musically yeah you're absolutely right there's some incredible uh, people there who were very devoted to the city as well you know people who could probably have moved elsewhere and and maybe kind mm. of gone to share their gifts and stuff in new places and you know as uh, they do obviously tour and, and visit places but they're really devoted to Manchester and really love Manchester so there's definitely mm. that feeling I also think that perhaps I, don't, I mean I don't know I'm, I'm just sort of like saying this in an exploratory way now but like I feel like perhaps within the kind of music college setting at least because there there wasn't like a kind of defined jazz course at the time I think there was a kind of natural need for crossover and and collaboration and yeah. stuff there wasn't that kind of built-in separation um, and that's not to say that collaboration doesn't happen elsewhere but um, that it's definitely a theme, I think, of Manchester. I mean, I, I'm, I've been working a lot with um, the Manchester Collective. I don't know if you're aware of those guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've got a commission from them coming up in the new year. And that's, they're always extraordinary. And for me, they kind of epitomise that that spirit really because they have they have I suppose they they fit kind of basically speaking they fit into a classical mold but the way that they work is as vital and as kind of revitalizing as as in the jazz scene yeah. I think so it's obvious you are a, a combiner of arts and art forms and you you surf that that sort of space mm. and presumably you've discovered some surprising musical combinations so to flip it on its head yeah. have you have you sort of discovered stuff that actually doesn't work and shouldn't be fitted together that it's a great question and I love this question or well, I, I love this question particularly because I've been talking a lot with some colleagues lately about when you get maybe not necessarily to a certain age or, or 
stage of career, but maybe a certain stage of your journey where at the beginning mm. you you spend ages trying to add. Yeah, you're adding skills, you're adding experiences and you're adding flavours. You're, you're, it's all additional, <laughs> um, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and obviously a lot of fruitful things can come from that. But I think with a couple of colleagues I've been talking lately about what happens now when we start to prune things and actually sort of filter things away or eliminate certain things to try to find like a kind of a purer sense of style, maybe not not that it has to be something that already exists, but it's 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 not assuming that addition makes it better, Mm. if that makes sense. Um, and that, you know, you can oh, apply absolutely that. absolutely, it makes sense. Yeah, you can apply that as well to, like, the number of notes you play as well. It's not just in terms of, like, what what kind of yeah. influences you have, but kind of trying to, trying to make a sort of more concise statement with the music that you're doing. Yeah, it's interesting. The um, we've, we've had, specifically, actually, more amongst the pianists, but when, when I've spoken to different musicians over the various series we've done, that reference point of, of pruning, of subtraction, mm. is really interesting in terms of how they've developed themselves as, as, as younger players into more mature players, so to speak. That it's, you know, it's, it's built on that cliche of sort of less is more. Mm. But it's... It's the continued practice, and I think at that point of recognizing, okay, that's enough. What's 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 there now at the core? What what is the heart of this 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 tree or this organism that I've built musically? 100%. And I find it really interesting. And one of the things I wrote down when listening to your music, just in the run up to specifically this this podcast, I, d- I just kept kept writing down, this is paired back. This is this is somehow a concentration of something that's clearly been bigger and I'm getting that lovely final result, but it doesn't need to sort of have an over-the-top proof point. It itself is its own proof of of, of a process having gone on. And I find oh, it very thanks. interesting that you were talking, therefore, about subtraction. Well, it's absolutely true. So just, just have to start thinking about practising now because of <laughs> pianists and things. So do yeah. you find, you know, you're, you're a working musician. Do you find a healthy balance between practicing your vocals practicing the violin but also then finding time for composition and creativity do you sort of have a fairly rigid approach to your average day or do you just go with the flow um it's a great question and it's one that i think all of us have to con- constantly re-optimize you know reevaluate and re-optimize different situations are calling for different balances of those things and it's something that yeah i don't know the kind of the self-flagellating part of me is like no i'd never get it right and like you know it's it's a it's a sort of struggle at times definitely i think there's kind of as a kind of jobbing musician there's time that you've got to spend just kind of staying limber making sure that that your instruments are working well and that you've learned the notes for example that you that you need to play or that you kind of are feeling kind of fluency in the stuff that you're trying to do but Mm. then yeah in terms of like of composition and creativity and allowing time I think that's such a massive part isn't it it's allowing time to follow your curiosity I don't know I mean I don't want to sort of sound like too earnest about it but it's I do feel like in today's world there's a real emphasis on object-driven work stuff that can Mm. be kind of quantifiable or that you've got like a thing to show at the end of three hours work four hours work and I don't know I think it's dangerous to try and fit that onto to creativity because it's it's in those moments where I don't know I, I think I get my best ideas when I'm doing the washing up or staring into space or going for a walk or just, I don't know, kind of just allowing 
an idea to come and allowing uh, allowing yourself to follow it without there being the condition of yeah. there being of there being a really sort of solid or hard result but that that's interesting in itself i think sometimes you can find that there is forced reflection you know in in life that's mm. the time when i'm going to take a, you know some time out and nothing yeah. sort of seems to happen and actually it's more in the pursuit of the mundane or just living your life that then it's the, that you have the brainwave or then something makes sense and i find that really interesting again for someone who who is as creative as you that it's the the washing up bowl that's as fruitful as uh, 30 no- 30 novels <laughs> or a trip to the art museum 100% yeah yeah and and also kind of looking after life in general you know like doing other I'm things. I'm taking that. Looking after life. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's a Wadsky original. Uh, <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> you know, like uh, getting involved in other aspects of life, you know, that, that don't appear to be directly related and you don't even necessarily do them with a view to improving your creativity, but just being involved, participating in the world. Mm. I don't have the authority to say what is and isn't valid music, but, but for me, I feel like you've got to be saying something even if it's something simple or gentle and then everything beyond that but it's like if you're you know there's there's no point playing music if you're not really saying anything and i think in order to say something you've, hmm. you've got to have some life some life to draw upon have a have a blunt question do you have a preference between live performance and working towards you know a show mm. uh or recording and putting down something that's going to remain there forever mm. or do you find there's there's an important place for both there's definitely an, an important place for both. I think naturally I love to perform. That's where I feel like uh, a lot of magic happens, but it might not necessarily be the best kind of version of, of that piece, if that makes sense, if it were to be translated onto something that was recorded, if that makes sense. So th- there's a certain energy that you get with an audience, right? You know, you, I'm sure you've experienced this as well, you know, this thing where as a performer you do your thing on the stage but that's directly affected by what the vibe is within the people listening I feel I sort of view it as like a sort of cycle that goes round and round it's it's like an exchange and and we talk a lot actually about about you know people always talk about how to perform well and how to entertain your audience and all of that kind of thing but we never talk about this almost holy almost sacred role of of being an audience member and what you can do as an audience member to improve the scenario for the person on stage but but also it's like a kind of deposit that you're putting in a bank almost and and that you're it's you know it, it can be quite subtle things like body language or facial expression proximity to the to the artist if you've got the opportunity to be closer all these kinds of things and then you know going as far as things to do is like how how you vocally respond to stuff and that obviously different traditions have Mm. different ways of like different etiquette of how you sit sit with a performance you know so there's something about that exchange that I find so amazing it's like you know you you can really as a as a performer especially as a singer I think you can really um feel like you're emptying your well you know and and you really try and sort of put yourself there emotionally and, and express the the feeling of the moment but when that cycle is working well it your well gets replenished immediately and it just it just cycles round and, and that's when performance I think gets really powerful and of course you mm. you know you you don't get that 
in a in a recording situation but then you're or or not necessarily probably not in a recording situation um but there's a kind of there's also something that I I love about a recording situation especially when you're on your own where you can be more um introspective and and also not have the pace of things dictated by the sort of pressure of, of feeling like you need to um deliver a particular show or whatever mm, you know mm, and you can really just be mm. led by your own instinct a bit more and I think that in fact that's it's a great question that you've asked because I think that's something that I'm trying to bring into live performance is trusting that instinct more trusting that that inner tempo is something that people will hopefully get on get on board with I, th- I think it's terribly interesting you said something um that I'm going to you know surmise as the listener as active mm. the responsibility not in a heavy way but there is a an absolute role for the listener in a in a concert it's not a yeah. passive position there is a not a responsibility but there's an opportunity to engage with with the musicians and yeah. you know we you've seen it i felt it and, and we know what happens and that can be surprising and then thinking about the, the the active listener and how then you respond to that as a musician it when you've got a recorded album i think it helps explain to me the great popularity on YouTube of someone listening to an album and then you sharing in their reaction and then having yeah. comments and stuff because <laughs> you're re-engaging, you're re-engaging the performance scenario that is obviously so important. It's a shame yeah. it just can't be two-way, but it's so interesting what, what you said. I just really is, never yeah. thought about it in such a succinct manner. Oh, thanks unlike again. my Unlike my reflections, Alice, they go on, for, they go on and on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... Are you are you ready, Alice Radsky, for my A to Z jazz-ish twenty-six letter challenge? Oh, I think I probably am. Hit me. I think this is why you've come on. Um, it's <laughs> going to be fast. It's going to be furious. Uh, but the real question is: Will you make the right brackets jazz close brackets choices to achieve maximum points? Who knows? Right, twenty-six questions coming your way. Just make your choice: Alice Coltrane or Alice in Wonderland. Alice Coltrane. Big band or brass band? I think today I'm going to say a brass band. Strong. John Cage or John Coltrane? John Cage, I think. Bad luck, Coltrane. Dexter Gordon or Dizzy Gillespie? Dizzy. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. Would you choose to compose with a cup of English tea or beside the English sea or both? English sea. Free jazz or funk? Free jazz. Go-go penguin or go-go somewhere else? Go-go penguin. I think they're great. Yeah, me too. Lionel Hampton or A House in the Hamptons? Lionel Hampton. It's the wrong choice as a jazz musician. You should have taken the house. Uh, right, Indian <laughs> jazz. In, in, Indian jazz or Indonesian jazz? Oh, I'm not really, I'm not familiar with either of them particularly, but I think I'm going to say... It's never in, stopped me making a choice. Yeah, Indian jazz today, I think. Nice. We like that. There's a lot, there's a lot of... A lot of Indian jazz, in, in, if you go back in our podcast listeners as well, you know. Okay. Right, jazz or jive? Jazz. Aram Kachaturian or Kim Kardashian? Oh, blimmin' heck, what a question. Kachaturian, big time. <laughs> <laughs> Franz Liszt or Witold Roman Lutoslavsky? Lutoslavsky. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was going to happen. Musical mystery or musical mayhem? Oh, um, whoa, musical mystery or musical mayhem? Um, today mayhem. Why not? <laughs> nice. It really is spring. Nighttime show or night times for sleep? Nighttime show, definitely. The poetry of the night must be allowed in. 
and pause. Okay, and we go again. Oboe or oh no. You know, I once heard somebody, this amazing oboist called Shaudi Liu, play a concerto by the, from, for the oboe by Strauss, I think. I just, I didn't think that it was possible to do what she did with the oboe. And before that point, I think I just sort of associated it with a very particular sort of sound. And then I heard her and was like, yeah, oboe is an incredible instrument. So I'm absolutely going to say oboe rather than oh no. It's a strong, if not lengthy answer. We shall come back to that at the end. Uh, Jaco Pistorius or Oscar Peterson. Oh, that's a really mean one. Um, Gosh. Tick, 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 tick. Yeah, God. Can I kind of bundle them up in some kind of posthumous weird band yeah <laughs> you certainly can because i think that would have been my answer yeah. okay we're at q good lord q- queen elizabeth hall or quincy jones's recording studio oh and happy birthday quincy oh, yeah happy birthday quincy uh, i think seeing as it's his birthday yeah let's go there got... it's good it's good <laughs> right ronnie scott's radio or yeah. radio three um radio three yeah i think you've got to you know they they love you and they love the album the first one, at least. <laughs> uh, right, spiritual or spirited? It's the same thing. Oh, deep. Tomorrow's Warriors or Tomorrow Never Dies? Tomorrow's Warriors, big time. <laughs> ukulele or the Udu drum? Definitely Udu drum. I hate the ukulele. I hate them <gasps> so much. I really hate them. How many more adverts for banks can we... See on televisions with a ukulele. Dunga, 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 dunga. Hey, you, I'm not going to criticise the ukulele. I, I like all the instruments, unlike Alice Radsky, who's got a problem. <laughs> right, my hardest question, I think, for 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 an Alice: yeah. violin or vocals? Vocals. Oh, okay. W. What for Jazz Junction or what for Jazz Junction? I would probably go with. Um... What for Jazz Junction? Interesting. Okay, very good answer. <laughs> That's done. That, you've done very well there. Uh, extremely loud or ex- extremely quiet? Extremely quiet. Nice. <gasps> Only two left. Yaz Ahmed or 80s chart-topping duo Yazoo? Oh, definitely Yaz Ahmed. 100%. And finally, Zoot Sims or A Trip to London Zoo? Oh, who, I don't know who Zoot Sims is. Oh, it's a great jazzer. One of the great players of all time on sax. Oh, but anyway, damn. you're going to go London Zoo now. <laughs> you can. It's a nice way to round off. But I I've will revealed myself. I'll, go, I'll get straight on the internet after this. Um, okay, well, I'm not going to dock you any points for, for, the, for the Z. Um, I, I am that. docking you points for having chosen Lionel Hampton. Not that I don't love him, but I think you should have taken the, the house because we were offering you a house in the Hamptons, but, you know, oh, you saved us a small fortune there. Can I go back in time? Yep. <laughs> No, I'm afraid you're not. Uh, the oboe was an excellent, excellent answer, but too lengthy for my likings. Right. So you had a potential of 26 points. You obviously lost one for the Hamptons. You lost one for the thing. So you got 24 out of 26 on the straight play. I'm going to have to dock another two points for the lengthy answer, which takes you down to 22 out of 26. But, but you smiled all the way through. <laughs> so I'm going to give you an extra two points. So you're back to 24 out of 26. Which, in you know, that's not bad. That's very generous that's of really you. That's really very good. Well, I, I am that guy. May the gods smile upon you. Well, and they smile upon you, Alice, because you are top of Alice Ladsky's <laughs> A to Z popular quiz leader challenge board of delight. <laughs> All right. So it's my set question time. Okay. 
Alice, you are the epitome, in, uh, in certainly this presenter's mind, of a musical junction. Uh, points of arrival, points of departure, points of swapping tracks. Mm. But what I want to know is when you compose and create, and indeed play, is there a consistent driver within you that's always been there? Or do your influences and your muses change? What a wonderful question. Um... I yes, <laughs> I don't. That's like four in a row. <laughs> this never happens on the Jazz Junction. <laughs> I don't think I know the answer, to be honest. I think um, there are some parts of it that are still a mystery to me, to be honest. Something sort of happens and you just begin. And what that's driven by, I don't really know, apart from that I just have to do it rather than not, not do it. Like, I feel bad if I don't do it, you know. I'm always interested in beauty I love to try to make things that are beautiful and that doesn't necessarily have to mean that it's like nice it can be angular beauty or kind of subversions of beauty but uh, uh, I'm interested in I'm interested in like timbres and textures that's always something that um, that really gets me so like perhaps more than overarching architecture of pieces necessarily or kind of adhering to certain forms of composition but kind of like I, I love to be um led by I don't know like um on lots of instruments that I like you know you can really feel what they're made of right so like uh, with the violin for example it's not just the note that you hear but it's the air moving around the strings and because your face is so close to it you can you can feel that you can hear the sound of the wood you can hear sort of cracks and buzzes and textures that are either really sort of hard or fluffy and that that's something i don't know like all of life is in those those little details you know and i guess the same with with the voice as well so yeah i i get led by those things i guess that and they're kind of associated with with nature and yeah that's something that I'm really into at the moment actually and that I haven't sort of gone into enough but I, I really want to is kind of trying to almost unintellectualize music for a little bit you know and kind of just really be led by the texture of one sound it doesn't matter what note it is it doesn't have to fit into a particular thing and see where that leads I feel like I'm listening to some some stuff that's kind of along those lines these days that's um yeah, I don't know. Just kind of goes to a, to such a deep place. It's so interesting uh, to hear your reflection then on the aesthetic, on the pastoral, mm. on the on, on on the nature of nature, I guess, mm. and, and, and the greatest. Earth. But then that final thing about unintellectualizing it. Yeah, I I don't believe that for a second. Take it from one who unintellectualizes everything. <laughs> <laughs> You're still going to have a strong intellectual dynamic. So fantastic! Thank you so much. That's such an interesting answer. Oh, right, it is top. Three album time. What do you go back to again? I go back to a guy called Taylor Dupre. Ooh. And I, to be honest with you, I have purposefully not Googled him because I don't want to be disappointed yet. He, so I was told by someone kind of word of mouth along a chain of uh, gossip or whatever that he's a guy who lives somewhere in the mountains, maybe in Canada or something, uh, and he melts snow and records the sound of melting snow and and uses that as like the kind of the raw data of, of how he creates sound. But then it, it kind of uh, 
becomes uh, melodified and harmonised and he sort of processes it. And so there's an album that he made called Faint and I just listen to that really regularly. Uh, one day I, I, I should obviously be a better human being and uh, and Google him and find out if, if what I'm saying is even true, you know. But I, I, I think it makes of... you a better human being to not. <laughs> Thanks. It's cool. I quite like I quite like not knowing at the moment. You know, it's I quite like uh, I'm just enjoying imagining him on a mountain with a few microphones recording snow melting and chuckling to himself because he doesn't care about anything else and it's just enjoying the sort of wacky beauty of what he's doing so um that's that makes me very happy and um and it's the the actual kind of atmosphere of that of that music that he's making is um is really comforting it's very still it's quite sort of luminous mm. and sort i guess sort of throbbing but not really kind of it's the sort of music that you put like I don't know if you've had a sort of day where your nerves are frayed a bit or your pulse is racing or if you're, you've got a lot on your mind or whatever. I put that on and it's it's just kind of like being wrapped up or kind of lying on some bed of celestial cloud and um, oh, and it just takes you. We'll take it. Yeah, it really takes you to a different place. So yeah, Taylor Dupre. All right, so Taylor <laughs> Dupre, Faint, it is locked in, and it's definitely a first for the Watford Jazz Junction. Album two? <laughs> album two. I've really been enjoying listen to, listening to an album made by a friend of mine, Fred Thomas. He's a piano player and bassist. Uh, drum- he plays everything, actually. He plays all yeah. instruments. <laughs> He's one of those. Um, and he made an album of Bach, which is amazing. It's it's truly, truly amazing. It's out on ECM and it's with two string players who I really love. Um, Aisha Orasbaeva, who's a um, Kazakh violinist who lives in London or who lived in London, I think. And Lucy Railton, who's a cellist. And there's a kind of... It's it's sort of really quietly radical. It's, you know, on the on the face of it, it's, it's Bach, you know, and we know what Bach sounds like. The way that it's so, first of all, like Fred did these transcriptions of different pieces, but uh, and kind of arranged them for this trio, which is quite, which is quite unusual, I guess, or certainly within kind of classical circles, that's quite an unusual thing to, thing to do. Um, yeah, 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 but, yeah. But the way that it's played and recorded, there's a sort of, it's really subtly radical, like, uh, and it's quite, it's hard to describe. I don't know, like, if it's the way that it's recorded or produced. Certainly, also like the way that um, the the three of them gel together and the phrasing, it's very kind of everything's very subtle, and I think because of those subtleties, it it really it, it's a it sort of links back into what I was saying before about kind of just being interested in in like timbres and textures. Y- you can listen on repeat and just find it's it's like getting resensitized again to stuff. You know, it's mm. it's for me. It's like the equivalent of like a flash of ankle in the Victorian times. You know, like it's kind <laughs> of it's it just really kind of resensitizes you to sound really loving listening. We're to taking that. that. All right. So Fred Thomas locked in at number two. This leaves you space for just one more. Yeah. Gosh. Just um, one more. But these aren't in any ranked order. Obviously, yeah. it's just some nice music. There's an amazing band. Uh, who I'm sure some of your listeners know, Electric Jalaba. 
So this is headed by the great Moroccan singer and Gembri player Simo Lagnawi. And it's uh, he's joined by four brothers, the Keen brothers, um, and uh, one other who may as well be a brother, who is Dave DeRoy's. They've been uh, working together for many years and uh, have kind of made this incredible fusion of uh, traditional Moroccan Gnawa music with electronics mm. and uh, electric instruments. Yeah, I've I've danced to that band so many times and there's there's certainly like a kind of trance-like thing that comes up with them. But also just like, I don't know, they've been doing it for so long and it's, it, I don't know, it's that thing. It's really old school somehow, especially in this day and age. It's really old school when people have a band that uh, is fixed, the members are fixed and they've been doing it for over a decade and it's like, you know, I, I guess in in this day and age people have to fight to have a band you know do you know what I mean it's, it's, if you're a jobbing musician and, and they meet regularly and they play and there's just such synergy and like I don't know it's this kind of like winding up of energies you know it, it, everyone gets really really wound up so I've been listening to their latest album a lot like their latest release it's, it's absolutely stunning so yeah i'd really recommend people listen to electric to lava nice well that's 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 a very uh unique uh top three or or, or three <laughs> album references so we've got taylor dupre uh fred thomas and electric Jalaba. yeah and uh what a wonderful mix thank oh, you no pleasure. right it's time to sort the fantasy house band some say <laughs> As I always do, it's the most eclectic and extraordinary fantasy jazz band in podcast show business. So, right now, Alice, we have got Bill Evans on the piano, mm-hmm. Mark Juliana on drums, yeah. Charles Mingus on the bass, wow. Alex Garnett from Ronnie's on the yeah. tenor, Joe Templey on bass saxophone, yeah. uh, Ingrid Jensen on trumpet, yes. Johnny Carisi on French horn or yeah. backup trumpet, whatever. He can do what he likes. <laughs> uh, plus Norma Winston, plus Carmen McRae, plus Betty Carter. A triumvirate of divas up front. And if that's not enough, we've got Dorothy Ashby on the harp. So that makes 11 players in total. And unusually, since we're at the end of a series, rather than asking you to remove a musician oh. and then add one in so they can have a break, I'm going to ask you just to add a musician to that mix to bring us up to a dozen and then I might reset the band afterwards. So your task, bring us in a musician from any point in musical history to which you think will compliment or frustrate or whatever. Do something for oh a lovely lineup of eleven. Oh my god, what a lineup. Oh my god. I feel like you need a harmonica in there. I feel like you Ooh, need uh, We toots. haven't had a harmonica player ever. You need Go for it. Toots Tillemans in there. Take Stillman's. Yeah. Amazing. He's in. I reckon that'll spice it up as if it wasn't spicy already. (laughs) I know. We're at full. We are full. We are full spice now. We've got the full rack of spices. Fantastic. (laughs) Right. So we're at that stage. It's just to say uh, thank you for being with us today. Um, How do we get to keep up with your work? What have you got coming up in the next few weeks and months? We know there's obviously a Manchester Collective competition coming up in the new year. That's right. Other than that, what else? So I've got um, a concert at the Polish Cultural Institute in Hammersmith on the 26th of March. I'm really looking forward to that. Nice. That's with uh, Fred Thomas and Misha Mulevabado. And I'm going to be playing... 
I don't know what am I going to be playing on that gig. All kinds of stuff, really. But yeah, it's uh, it's an amazing venue, and it's there's a lot of history there, and a lot of uh, like a really amazing atmosphere and an amazing kind of welcome as well. So I definitely recommend people go to that. I've got a couple of concerts coming up with Rob Luft, the great guitarist Rob Luft. So where do we go though? So have you got a website? We I can have. Check out? Yeah, yeah. So it's um, Alice Z. So the letter Z music. Alice Z music yeah. or one word dot com, and um, I list everything there. And um, yeah, everyone is warmly welcome to whatever takes their fancy. Oh, that's awesome. We should all be checking it out. Fantastic. Thank you, and hopefully we'll get to hear you live as well. Um, so if you've liked what you've listened to, which of course you have, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our valuable episodes. And if you want to know more about the Watford Jazz Junction, just visit our website at watfordjazzjunction.com or even follow us on our various social media or email us at jazzwatfordlive at gmail.com. Oh, stop me in a pub. <laughs> um, but until we connect again, uh, which I, which may well now be after our jazz festival in May, it is goodbye, lovely, lovely listener. It is goodbye, lovely, lovely Alice. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Chris. And bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and always remember to connect with something new. Bye. Bye. <laughs>